0: Smarties, we are so excited to welcome Dr. Stacey Haynes, who is a licensed professional counselor and clinical supervisor specializing in the treatment of social, behavioral, and emotional challenges of children. She is a certified provider in the CPS model, which is what we are talking all about today, and trains schools, facilities, and other providers in the CPS model, which is the collaborative proactive solutions model established by Dr. Ross Green. In this episode, we talk about so many things, including shifting language from challenging behaviors to concerning behaviors. Her sharing our fundamental belief that kids do well when they can, her discussion of the assessment of lacking skills and problems that guide a plan B conversation. She'll dig into what this plan B conversation is. You'll see how she is so aligned with all the things that we have talked about on this podcast for over 153 episodes and how the plan B conversation works well across ages, abilities, concerning behaviors is all about being specific, not about compromise and how it's a win-win for all parties involved. We are so excited to continue our conversation with her on Patreon. If you are not yet a member of Patreon, Patreon is our $5 a month monthly subscription where you can support the work that we're doing here on the podcast. And in exchange, we gift you with... Extended conversations, exclusive content that we only release there. If you are interested in joining us on Patreon to hear this extended conversation with Dr. Haynes and so many other extended conversations we've had in the past, please go to www.patreon.com slash LearnSmarterPodcast to hear us chat with her about how to get parents on the same page how parent collaboration can be extracted through modeling and her work on disproportionality of punishment in populations. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast
1: Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 153 of Learn Smarter, the educational therapy podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. And today we're so excited to have Stacey Haynes on with us. And we are going to be learning all about the CPS model. And I'm just excited to sit back and learn all about this because it is something that I think affects so many people and so many families and so
2: many kids. So, Stacy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and who you do it for? Sure. I'm Dr. Stacy Haynes and in New Jersey. I'm a licensed professional counselor. I work with Dr. Ross Green, who is actually the creator and founder of the Collaborative and Proactive Solutions model. They have a nonprofit called Lives in the Balance. And so we spread the CPS model throughout the world, honestly. It's in Europe, it's in Australia, it's here in the States. I work for Dr. Green, so I work as a trainer. I'm the Director of Inclusion and Equity, so I also manage a scholarship program that we have now where we are offering CPS to schools to help with school discipline. And so we are passionate about helping children and helping the adults that work with children see children a different way. So Collaborative Practice proactive solutions. I fell in love with the model probably about 12 years ago. <laughs> I've been a trainer and working with the model ever since. So I'm really excited to be here and share this with your audience.
1: Wow. How did you come across
2: it? Can you just take me through where and how that happened? Actually, a colleague of mine was deciding to go on a road trip. She came to my office and she said, do you want to go to Maine? There's this really great conference. She knew that I liked working with children with ADHD, children with challenging behaviors. And she said, I think this would be great for you. He's the author of The Explosive Child. It's a great model. I knew nothing about it, but Maine sounded fun. So (laughs) I said, let's do the road trip from New Jersey to Maine and off we went. And it was interesting because I came from a level system. I came from like parent management training. I came from a clinical background where it was like rewards and punishments. And to hear Dr. Green the first day, I actually walked up to him. He has a meet and greet at his advanced training. And I said, I don't understand this model. I don't understand how there's no rewards. I don't understand how kids are learning skills. And he said to me, if you still feel the same at the end of the two-day training, just come back to me and I'll explain it. I didn't. I fell in love. It's a problem-solving conversation. It made sense to me. I drove back from Maine, really excited, and that was probably in about 2005 or 2006. And I've been using the model in my practice ever since.
0: Amazing! Wow. Oh. Okay. I totally relate to being excited about the road trip and the little adventure. <laughs> That's how stuff gets me on stuff. Yeah. And then I'm yeah. like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> and then- but it's never about what we're going for. <laughs> so
1: please tell us, like in a nutshell, what is this model?
2: Sure. So collaborative and proactive solutions, it is a model of working with children. We always say now concerning behavior. It used to be challenging, but that terminology, we're kind of pulling away and saying we could have students or children with concerning behaviors. And so the model is a way to change our lens as the adults in the lives of children with concerning behavior. And so we have three steps to the actual model, the actual plan B conversation, but we do what we call an assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, which we kind of say are else up. So what I love about it as a clinician, it's a one form document on livesinthebalance.org. Dr. Green has all of the resources for the model and it's free. So I do really encourage people to go to the website to get the paperwork. But what we do first is we take people from looking at behavior, right? Our theme is kids do well if they can. Not kids do well if they want to. Not kids do well if they're motivated. Not kids do well if they have enough stickers on their chart, right? Mm-hmm. So we really start with that assessment of what are the lagging skills? If you know, my kiddo's having a difficult time, let's say, completing his reading homework, right? Or his spelling homework. And I could see the behavior, right? One student might cry. One student might rip up the paper. One student might get quiet and just shut down and stare at the paper. So all of that's behavior. So what we do with this model is really move people from the behavior side of what's happening for the student to say, what's the lagging skill? So if my student's having difficulty getting started on maybe persisting or challenging tasks, for example, so our up is a list of about 20 lagging skills, skills that we actually look at. But then from that, we now go into creating what we call unsolved problems. So throughout the day, kids have unsolved problems. Even adults have unsolved problems, right? We have difficulty with moments when expectations are being placed on us. I always give the example, I could be driving like to Maine, for example, and I get lost. I'm not good with a sense of direction, right? That's a huge skill. So if you're my kids and you're in the car with me, you know, when I get lost, (laughs) that my behavior looks very different than when mommy knows where she's going, right? Right. So Mm -hmm. we have difficult moments. But what I love about CPS is it takes those unsolved problems, those moments throughout a child's day, and it says, let's have a problem solving conversation instead of trying to just focus on the behavior. So instead of me saying to a kid, hey, why are you ripping up your reading work? I might say, hey, bud, I know you have difficulty getting started on your reading assignment, what's up? And so we really teach with our plan B conversation. So then it's a three-step conversation. Our first step is our empathy step where we actually gather the kids' concerns about the problem. So we're actually asking them questions to understand it. Then we have our adult concern where the adult gets to say, hey, here's my concern about what's going on. And then we do an invitation. So that third step, we're actually inviting both the adult and the child to problem solve an actual solution that's going to be realistic, meaning both parties can do it, and also mutually satisfactory, meaning that it meets both parties' concerns. And so the great thing about this model, whether you're at school, whether you're at home, is you actually walk away with a solution that solves the concerning unsolved problem that the student had to begin with. So again, it's a model that flows beautifully (laughs) into school settings. We train across the country. We train in different countries, uh, the CPS model, but even home with parents. We have over 30,000 parents on our Facebook parent group, because again, people are looking at how do I solve concerning ways at home. Parents are tired of sticker charts and parents are tired of punishments that don't change behavior. And so this really looks at solving the problem that the student's having. Okay.
1: (laughs) Okay. You're so up our alley. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. (laughs) And I'm just taking it all in. And I'm just thinking of like, how many examples can we talk about to sort of make it realistic? Mm -hmm. Do you find that there's an age group, a certain subtype of something that's going on? Or is it all kids that are just different phases of their life? How does that
2: look? it's interesting my first family that i ever worked with was actually a four-year-old that was getting kicked out of preschool right Mm -hmm. the family by time they came to me was on their third preschool setting this is a model that I've also worked with, for example, students in the New York City's Alternative Learning Centers, right? So the ALCs of New York. So these are students who are teenagers in ninth through 12th grade that have also been removed from their home schools for detentions and superintendent suspensions. And so this is a model that one of the reasons I love that there isn't an age limit to it and when you think about the population, so a lot of families, for example, I work with children with autism. Mm-hmm. I work with children diagnosed with ADHD, depression, anxiety. Regardless of the diagnosis, all children want to do well, right? They want the opportunity to Yay. problem solve. Yeah, yep. Pre- <laughs> preach, yeah. <laughs> So so it works great. One thing um, I can just tell you with my autistic families and children with autism, one thing I love about this model is we use drilling strategies. So there are certain ways that we actually will ask the questions and it actually goes well with black and white thinkers and detail-oriented kiddos. So to ask a specific question or even a specific unsolved problem, for example, instead of saying to a kid, hey, I know you have difficulty cleaning your room. Well, that's vague. That's big. There's a lots of steps. But if I say, hey, bud, I know you have difficulty picking up your laundry off the floor. What's up? Now my kid can tune right into that moment. So it really works well across ages, across concerns, and across, you know, what we would consider challenging behavior previously. And also with nonverbal. Dr. Green has resources on the Lives in the Balance webpage about working with students, for example, who have verbal challenges, who are not maybe verbal, who are using devices, or again, having to use pictures, but we could still do this model. So great question, because it's a talking model too. people say, well, how do I do that with nonverbal or students with processing concerns? And I say the same way that we help them to get ready for the day, or we provide them education, right? Those same tools, we can do the plan B conversation with them.
0: I'm really attracted to the specificity because Mm -hmm. we talk to parents all the time who have complaints. My child's late in the morning. They won't be on time. And we're like, there's so many things that need to happen in order for them to be on time in the morning. And they don't know. Mm -hmm. I know they've done it a million times and it's rote for you, but it's not for them. Right. And Rachel, I'm going to take that example
2: and let me break that out, right? So in our language, right, we would say how many steps are there for getting ready for school? So I wouldn't just say, hey, bud, I know you have difficulty being late in the morning, right? Because that's a challenging behavior. We really want to talk about what's the expectation, right, that the student's having a hard time meeting. And I would break that down. So it could be even from the minute they get out of the bed, right? So I'm going to do some work with the parents and I'm going to say, all right, talk to me about that difficulty first thing in the morning. What's the first unmet expectation? Well, he doesn't get out of bed. (laughs) All right. Well, let's start there. Hey, bud, I know you have difficulty getting up when mom calls you the first time. What's up? So even as you're solving one moment throughout the day with solutions, that's one less moment, you're going to have challenging concerns, right? Right. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it really Mm -hmm. is Even with classroom teachers, I will start with what's the first unmet expectation when that student comes in. Sometimes it's coming off the bus. Sometimes it's coming into that building, right? Difficulty walking into the school building off the bus in the morning. And so we're able to solve those very specific moments that people sometimes will say, well, it's unpredictable. There's behaviors all the time. We never know. When we start doing an LSOP, you really begin to look at those specific moments and parents and teachers are like yeah that is when this happens right mm-hmm. and that
0: snowballs and fa- affects everything else mm-hmm. it's like what we talk about on the podcast a lot taking aim but really embracing small victories for a large results, and to make life easier because parents just want the kids to be on time right mm-hmm. they don't want to backtrack it's a lot of work to sort of problem solve this and break it down and you know a lay parent who's Maybe not the parent who's listening to this podcast, right? Or like seeking you out doesn't know or doesn't have the energy for it. So I'm in love with how aligned the things that we've talked about are with this model.
1: Mm -hmm. My question to you is what about time blindness? Let's say there's a kid that does it, but doesn't do it in the time frame that an anxious parent or a fast processor <laughs> wants it done. So it's not necessarily that the kid won't get out of bed, the kid will, but the kid needs more time than the parent wants to allow. This is something that's come up in my practice, which is why I'm sort of thinking, hmm, okay, how does that
2: look? How do we approach something like that? Sure. One of the great things about the plan B conversation. So when we start with, for example, that difficulty getting up in the morning, right? And the students or kids saying their concerns and they're like, you know what, mom, I'm slow as a turtle, right? (laughs) Like whatever the kid may come up with the concerns. Here's the interesting part about it. We don't agree or disagree with the kids concerns, but oftentimes what I love is there's like an aha moment for parents parents begin to hear things that they've never heard before because we've never really taken the time to find out what's really going on for our kiddo and why they're really late, right? Mm -hmm. What we do in the moment is we're right. We're trying to hurry them up. We want this moving along, but it becomes such a powerful conversation. That's why we call it the empathy step because you actually now learn as the parent, what is hard for your kiddo? Mm -hmm. I've heard things, for example, the four-year-old, here's an interesting story. Now she was hitting people in preschool. But when we sat down and did the plan B conversation and the empathy step, I found out that the teacher had a circle rug with the letters on it. And she always wanted to sit on the letter B because that's what her name started with. Uh, And when somebody would sit there, pow. Wow. But- it's hearing that concern. So now with your time concerned parent, right, they get to give in the adult concern step, which is step two of the conversation. So after we hear all the kids concerns, the adult does give their concern and they may, their concern would be, Hey, you know what? One of my concerns is, is if I get out of the door late, then I'm late for work, right? How does the child's inability to meet the expectations really impacts the child or others is what we talk about in that step too. When we tell parents, it's not a lecture, teachers, you're not going to just say, because it's the school rule, right? It's really, how is the unmet expectation impacting the student and those around them? And then when you come up with a solution, it's not compromised. So my time anxious parent Mm -hmm. (laughs) may do a couple of things. They may actually look at their expectation and now that they understand their kids' concerns, Sometimes parents will change that expectation, but also the solution when we talk about it being mutually satisfactory means that both parties' concerns are addressed. So that parent, whatever solution we come up with, it is not compromised. So the solution is actually going to solve that time issue, right, in a way that works for both parties, which is what I love about it. Because compromise, technically, we don't agree, right? We disagree to it. That's not what this is. This is a win-win when we come up with a solution, Anna has to be realistic. So I look at that mom and say, okay, mom, <laughs> but you told him you would give him an extra five minutes. Is that really going to work for you as the solution? So we really test out that solution too, before we move away from the conversation to make sure that both parties can do it. Because again, the great thing is students will come up with solutions. The adults in their world, listen to those solutions. We agree, make sure it's realistic. And then now we have a solution that works for both parties.
0: And an understanding across the board of what's about to happen. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I have some questions about when these conversations take place because Mm -hmm. the reason I knew about the B thing is because I taught preschool for seven or eight years. So the second you said it was a letter (laughs) rug, I was like, oh no. Uh God forbid you have two kids with a letter B name Mm because we have to come up with nicknames and all that sort of thing. It's one of the reasons I didn't have a letter rug. (laughs) We have letters in other places in the classroom, but- One of the things that I have really taken away from that experience when I was teaching the four and a half year olds was, you know, when the kid's in the tantrum, when the panic is happening, when the parent is elevated and sort of in their primal reactive brain it's not the time right this model really calls for intentional parenting mm-hmm. and strategic parenting because mm-hmm. i could see the parents who are like okay we're going to be late this morning because we are going to have this plan b conversation which is not productive because you're stressed they're stressed it's not the time for openness right so how do you sort of teach context and when is appropriate mm-hmm. And having, you know, all the decision makers, because it's not always that parents are in the same house together. And sometimes there's a grandparent who's a decision maker. How do you get everybody sort of on the same page? So I guess it's a twofold question.
2: So part of that is... CPS is a preventive model, right? So we are not in the heat of the moment. We talk to people that this is not when you're in the crisis, when you're ready to go out the door and the kiddo's still not moving along. Maybe that night before we're sitting down or we'll say, hey, bud, I know you're having difficulty getting out of the bed in the morning. What's up? So we're going to problem solve before we have that moment again, right? And one of the things I do all the time is I tell folks, do it in the car ride, do it at bedtime, do this when they're strapped in those car seats and they can't go anywhere, right? Yes, 100%.
0: <laughs> so we talk about that all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so catching those specific moments, right? It's really key. And even when you're in a school, for example, so one thing about the model, we have lots of paperwork, that help to track. So we have plan B flowcharts, for example, where you can track the conversations and the solutions that you came up with. And even if it is parents or grandparents, you can, hey, this is the plan B conversation that we worked on. Give that solution to the parent. So now you have everyone in the child's world. In schools, we'll have teams that work together. They'll share the forms. They'll put it in Dropbox. If it's a homeroom teacher, and let's say we have six other teachers working with that student, then there's Information you can share now about that same unsolved problem because often we'll see, you know, that difficulty maybe completing a writing assignment, not just in ELA, but when the math problems become writing and word problems, mm-hmm. you'll see it there. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. have that ability. So typically, we will even train schools. We usually take a core team of eight to 10 staff within the school so that you have that common language, right? You have a group of staff that now understand, can share solutions. But even with parents, like you said, that's one thing about training both parents. We typically train parents in the model so that they can be in the same language and do the same process, even if it's on the way to soccer,
0: <laughs> quickly yeah. in the yeah, car. There we go.
2: <laughs> so mm-hmm. I just feel like this is a burning
1: question for me. What happens if you have the conversation and it can go a myriad of ways, right? Like somebody doesn't uphold their side and then it falls apart again Do you have the same conversation? Like what happens if it doesn't work?
2: Yeah. So we have a whole chapter, Dr. Green, whether in his Lost at School or the Explosive Child book has a whole chapter on that, right? Because we may have to revisit plan B and that's exactly right. Sometimes the solution we came up to and bless children's heart, but they just agree with us and really it wasn't realistic. Or maybe the solution, even as the adult, we just agreed to it, and it really didn't meet our concerns. And so we come back to that plan B conversation, and we will revisit it. Often, I also look at parents and say, but if I have to give a reminder, is it really a solution? And I'll say, absolutely, right? And we build a building. We have scaffolding around a building, right, until it's able to support itself that's how we can view reminders. And reminders can be a solution if the child actually will do the solution with the reminder. So oftentimes people will ask that exact question, right? And we do a training or presentation on the model. What I love about it is kids get really good at doing CPS and they actually are really good at doing the solutions. Another question that always comes up, or are kids really going to be honest? trust me you're learning about their concern you're taking the time to listen to them they are super honest super engaged i have legos i have play-doh i have fidgets i have all things that need us to be able to focus and talk to one another even for the adults so it's just helpful for those conversations but students really get engaged they want people to help them you know when i say to a kiddo hey bud This is something I know that you've been getting in trouble for. I really want to be able to help you with. You're not in trouble as we have the conversation, but we're going to come up with solutions. And so we even prep the students about the plan B conversation so that we get their buy-in. And they're so engaged because for once, instead of being a lecture or a punishment, right, we're taking the time as the adults in their world to say, hey, how can we help you? What's a solution that will work? We notice that you're struggling, right? And we don't want you to struggle anymore. So great question.
1: What about if a kid's solution is, well, I just don't want to go to school anymore. The classic extreme, that's the only solution. And that's the only way my problem is going to get solved kind of
2: kid which I have a lot in my practice. And so do I. And typically where we go with that is it's a good idea, but would that meet the adult's concern? Because remember, a solution has to meet both parties' concerns. Mm. And so depending on, again, the conversation, what our unsolved problem is, that solution wouldn't meet the adult concern because we probably do want them to be in school. So there's a way to say your solution's a great idea, which is what I usually say to kids, great idea, but... Uh It doesn't meet both parties' concerns. What else can we think of, right? And again, it's acknowledging, it's not saying no, it's not shutting the kiddo down, right? But that process and the invitation is, again, we're making sure it's realistic, that both parties can do it, but that it also meets both parties' concerns. And so we agree to one solution, not a list of them, but one solution. So we do have to test the solution to make sure it works for everybody. And I think that's important to note that you just said one solution, not a lot, one at a time. Because what happens, right, you get the laundry list of solutions. And then in the moment, the kids, does, they don't know which one to pick, right? The adult doesn't know which one we're using. And so one of the things we've narrowed that piece down is to say, if we have one solution, then it holds the child accountable and it holds the adult accountable. We can come back and say, hey, in about a week, are we seeing Johnny being able to use that solution? He is great. Perfect. Check it off. And now we move to another unsolved problem. Sometimes we have students and children that have maybe 10 unsolved problems, right? Sometimes we have students that that have 70 or 80 unsolved problems. We really look at some of those challenges that could be identified. But as I tell parents, we're going to prioritize. We're going to pick the ones that are often safety issues, ones that are, I say, frequent flyer issues, right? If you have a student that's going to the principal a lot for a certain unsolved problem. So we prioritize prioritize that we're really, again, helping the parents to look and say, okay, what's our main concern? And then we start with
0: those. Take the aim. Yep. (laughs) So I'm interested to hear sort of the classroom teacher response to this, because speaking as a former classroom teacher, there's a lot on their plate. Now, as a therapist and someone who's naturally attracted to this model, would look at this as an opportunity to solve some of the things that are bugging me about what's going on in the classroom and some of the concerns that I have about certain students that are being disruptive to the larger group. But, you know, I was fortunate to work in a classroom where there were three teachers to 18 kids and, or 19 kids. I could see how an overworked teacher would be like more documentation, you know? So I'm curious to hear sort of your experiences with Coaching schools through this and introducing, sort of, this language, how it's received, how it's implemented. I'm curious, sort of your perspective on it.
2: Great question. So it's interesting. Our work is primarily in schools, not with therapists, which is really an interesting shift because Dr. Green, his Lost at School book, really focused on the educational concerns we see with our students. And one of the goals of Lives in Balance is reducing suspensions, restraints, seclusions, and detentions, right? The behavioral things that we are discipline we see in schools. So we do a proficiency training. We'll sign a school up for 15 weeks. Typically what that looks like is teachers will complete the LSAP. They'll also complete plan B conversations, actually record their conversations with students, and the coaches will give them feedback. The response is always based on how does the administration provide the opportunity for the training, right? And so I've had schools, I've had a principal recreate their entire school schedule where they have 30 minutes throughout the entire building for teachers to be able to do plan B conversations, right? And so the creativeness that comes with this, absolutely, definitely having that administrator buy-in. You'll hear sometimes the one teacher that finds the book that's trying to be the only person implementing. It's hard. However, We also have times throughout our classroom when we do do one-on-one instruction with the student, right? Even if we're a single teacher, we do have time within our day where we can pull a student to the back of the class or to the side and say, hey, I know you have difficulty, even if it's a five to 10 minute conversation to get it started, right? Mm -hmm. So that is something we work with schools about implementation with that team because it does take the support of administration. It does take support of just having teachers to buy in. But I always say, even in your core group, put the teacher that's probably not going to buy in because we want to make them believers, right? <laughs> we want to convince yeah. them. But again, you always have your cheerleader groups, the ones that actually have looked at how can we put this into place. But I also say how much time, and Dr. Green is famous for saying this, how much time do we spend on discipline referrals though? How much time do we spend on that unsolved problem that hasn't been solved Totally. Fair. and constantly addressing it, managing it. And if you said to that teacher, Hey, I've got a plan B conversation that's going to save you time with that same student. That's usually how we get them to be open to the model because it does save time.
0: It's fascinating. It's always the same answer in the classroom. It's about administrative creativity and support and creating space for these sort of things. Cause as a former classroom teacher, it would bug me when things were added on, but nothing was taken off, mm-hmm. right? And so I love that answer. So one thing we encourage schools
2: to do is think about the processes that you already use. So if you have a team meeting already, do your LS up during that meeting. If you have teachers that meet for team teachers or grade level meetings, I have used this with child study teams. We've done this with INRS teams, right? So things that we're already using within our school. Instead of spending 30 minutes talking about the challenging behavior, we're now spending 30 minutes talking about their lagging skills and the unsolved problems and then tagging it, somebody to do the plan B conversation so that our team can then come back in two to three weeks when we meet to see if that unsolved problem's been solved. And so we do encourage schools to look at where you can put the LSOP meeting as well as the Plan B conversations into opportunities that you already have with students and families. We have a lot of schools that also put this into their parent programs and teach parents the model. And so that's been great. Then the child has it at home and at school. Yeah, amazing,
1: amazing. Now, does this model work in a group setting?
2: Yes, Dr. Green actually has a classroom wide Plan B conversation on the Lives in the Balance website for an entire class. Um, One thing, again, I love about the website, there's lots of free resources, but you have Dr. Green doing a Plan B conversation for a teacher, and he's doing it with the entire class.
1: Oh, great. Okay. So like Mm -hmm. if you have several children and it's a family situation. Yes. (laughs) Everybody can sit there and collaborate. It doesn't need to be each
2: child separately. Individually. Right. Yeah. And even if you're a classroom teacher, for example, and everybody's having a hard time coming in for recess, right? So these are things we look at. It's just not one student sometime. We're all having a hard time playing four squares, right? It's not just one student. So we do have examples of that. And teachers asked for that as well. Like it was very interesting. At first, it was more so like the individual and then it evolved over time being able to do classroom. And then, like I said, Dr. Green posted a video of himself doing one because people really were curious. Again, that classroom teacher that doesn't have the time to do it individually. Absolutely can say, hey, let's take 15 minutes. Let's do a classroom wide. And now I have everybody involved in the process.
1: And do you ever find that the kids with the, you know, seriously concerning behaviors fight back eventually or just become, you know, adamant that they're not going to do it because they originally agreed and then they feel like they can't, even if you have that let's amend and go back and look situation. Are there ever those defiant, challenging kids
2: that this doesn't work for? You know, Dr. Green would probably answer that and say in his lifetime, a couple um I can honestly say to you in my lifetime of working with kids I've yet to come across a student that did not engage. Even the most difficult defiant oppositional behavioral aggressive challenging, you know, cursing you out the whole time, that's still communication, that's still conversation. Yeah. And so part of this is again not looking at the behavior but listening to even the communication. We have a whole slide when we do a presentation for the kid that won't talk to you, right? When the kid says, I don't know, or just shrugs their shoulders and doesn't say anything. We have a whole slide of how to break through that moment. Because again, our goal is to hear the kids' concerns. And once they really buy into that, students will seek you out for a plan B conversation. Mm -hmm. I've had students where I've worked with them in my private practice. And then the teachers have emailed the parents to say, hey, what are you doing your kid asked me to step out into the hallway to solve a problem with them. Oh. <laughs> and the teacher had no idea, but uh-huh. that's what the student had been learning to do with us in therapy and with his parents. And so the teacher reached out to say, Hey, what is this? I love it. What is this? Yeah. Let's. <laughs> and so that's what really what I do. I send a lot of emails, right. With links to the website and my work working with children and families as a clinician in an outpatient setting I do introduce this as well through my private practice work to families, referencing the website, the books, sending. If I've done a Plan B conversation, I was talking with a student the other day, and they were having difficulty typing with this online learning, right? Everybody's in Zoom. Mm -hmm. What nobody figured out was that student really had a hard time with the actual typing of it. Mm -hmm. So this was huge because now we're saying, all right, let's come up with solutions. Let's work with the school, take the typing out, but the student can still submit the work. So whether we're doing worksheets, scanning that back in remotely, those types of things. But it's huge when students really know that you're listening to their concerns and that you're trying to help them solve it. I tease, I had the kid that I had to actually go out to my parking lot um, because he refused to come into the building. Uh
0: (laughs) Uh-huh. Been there. Yep. I
2: was (laughs) Oh yeah. But I can tell you he was definitely engaged when I opened up and said, Hey Bud, you're not in trouble, but I'm really wanting to know what your concern is about this. And the minute we started, he really became engaged because again, it's an adult saying, I'm willing to listen to your concerns. Help me to understand it from your perspective. And that's huge. It's a huge win in relationship. You see the kids start sitting closer to their parents. Mm -hmm. Teachers change their views of how they see students, right? They're no longer the trouble kid. They're now the kid that has lagging skills and unsolved problems. And together, the teacher, the student, we're going to work on these. We're going to become a problem-solving team. And we're going to work on this together. So it's a huge lens change that happens when you start using this model. Hmm. So
1: on the website, do you have those probing questions that people can access? Like I'm thinking about a kid that I have personally in my practice that will just say, I don't know. I don't know.
2: I don't know. I don't know. Yes. Great. Give me an example of what you might ask that student that they say, I don't know. I ask a lot of questions about what was hard. Mm-hmm.
1: I tend to like that language. So what was hard about that assignment? hmm
2: Sure. So we have a drilling cheat sheet on our website, right? So again, we give everybody the tools. There's the three steps of plan B. There's a plan B cheat sheet that tells you what to do in the empathy step. There's the adult concern step and then the invitation. But the drilling cheat sheet is specific for the empathy step. What we found is or Dr. Green really realized is The more specific we can be, even with how we ask our questions, Mm -hmm. the better the students will be able to answer. So things like reflective listening, right? So I might say to a kiddo, repeat what they said to me and then tell me more about that. So what I hear you saying, it's hard to write that assignment. Can you tell me more about that? Mm -hmm. I might ask him, and I love this one. I go right to the who, what, where, when of the assignment. So I'm going to say, can you tell me what was the assignment about?
0: Mm -hmm. Because
2: even then I'm checking in for comprehension, understanding, right? Right. Kid might say to me, I don't even know what I was supposed to be doing. Oh, well, take me back. When did you get the assignment? When did Mrs. Smith hand that to you guys? And again, breaking it into component parts, we can say, so tell me, is it the understanding of the instructions? Is that part hard? Kid might say, nope, I, I understand what I'm supposed to do. Great. Tell me about getting started on part one. Going back to your language, which I love, right? Is anything hard about getting started on step one? That's when the kid says to me, yeah, it's hard to find the research. I don't know how to look for this stuff. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. But the drilling cheat sheet has eight specific drilling strategies that we use in our empathy step to take us back to, again, the kid's concerns. Once we give the unsolved problem, we're listening for the concerns. We call it drilling because we really want to find out to make sure we understand. It's not enough for a kid to say, well, I just don't like the assignment. Right. Yeah. I'll reflect it back. So I hear you don't like the assignment. Can you tell me more about that? And the kid will say, like, well, it's stupid. It's not fair. I'm not sure why we have to do this. Now I'm getting more information, right? And then we can start to drill. And once we feel like we've drilled, we summarize, we summarize, I'll say to students, so what I've heard you tell me so far is the assignment's hard because it's hard for you to type. You're not sure how to find the research. Is there anything else making it hard for you to do this assignment? So it's really a structured way to even get the kids' concerns out. And then we also will prioritize the child's concerns at that moment because we want to know what's the number one reason getting in the way, right? So if I said to the student, so what's the number one thing of the things you just told me, which one's making it most difficult for you to write that writing assignment? The other day, the student told me it's the typing part. And I said, great, now I understand. So yes, we do have drilling cheat sheets that help folks to, again, be able to ask the question, which is what makes this model evidence-based? It does have research to support its effectiveness. We have tons of research on the Lives in the Balance website page. But again, following the steps of the model is what we train people on, even with our proficiency trainings. I love it. And there's videos. I always tease people for folks that don't read the books. There's lots of videos. Dr. Green also has podcasts as well. But also parents, again, it's a huge Facebook audience of parents that are learning that are using this model at home with their children. And they are such a support to each other on Facebook, just sharing how, you know, they're using plan B when they struggle. So it's really a great community, but This is why I love the model as well. Like I said, I went to Maine and I've never turned back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So fascinating. One trip changes your life. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens when you have parents who don't agree? You know, there's the struggle and the unmet expectation, but the parents can't agree on the expectation or something that throws a wrench in that part of it.
2: Mm -hmm. How do you deal with something like that? So one of the things, the LSUP meeting, when we actually are going through the assessment of lagging skills and talking about the unmet expectations, you're doing that part without the child present, right? And so we really do spend sometimes that LSUP meeting, especially in a therapy session, could be two sessions, right? I'm working with the parents in what I call a parent meeting, and we're going through the LSUP because we do have to get to a consensus before we come to the kiddo about what the expectation, right? Sometimes parents don't even know what the expectation is, right? Or teachers. And you'll say, well, what's the unmet expectation? Because we'll say, hey, you have difficulty, let's say, maintaining focus. And I'll say to a a teacher, all right, so we have difficulty maintaining focus. What does that look like in your classroom? And they can't give a specific, right? Well, he's just all over the place. Hear what you're saying. Let's go back to when's the first moment of your classroom that you notice that, right? So, even helping by creating the list of unsolved problems, it actually helps people to identify what their expectations are. And as a therapist, we always go again, developmental. You know, are they realistic expectations developmentally? I do talk with parents often about, well, no, I'm not sure your three year old's going to be able to tie their shoes all the time at three.
0: Yes. (laughs)
2: So let's take that one off right now. (laughs) So, you know, again, that's why Velcro shoes were created for little ones. But, you know, some of those things we do talk about as we're going through that list. But then it also becomes more of a conversation with parents than, you know, a combative moment for parents as well. Because one thing I love when you've got mom and dads and moms and moms that are like, no, I look at this this way, I look at this way. And for both of them to sit down and hear each other, it's awesome it's awesome because they're like, wait a minute, I looked at it this way. So they're even clarifying their expectations as a unit, which is so important for parents. Because again, by the time they come to therapy, right, they've tried everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I always tease them, I'm like, all right, our parent meeting is for us to try something new, because you've tried everything else, right? So let me talk to you about this CPS model and how we can use it together. But you also have that with teachers, right? So not just parents at home, but you also have that with educators, where you might have your English teacher different than your math teacher, right? And you have a student that has eight different personalities throughout the day. So that's where even coming together with those teams in schools help when we can have everyone viewing challenging behavior as unmet expectations and unsolved problems versus just a kid that doesn't want to, that's lazy, that's disrespectful getting rid of all those things that we sometimes call our students in school Oof, buildings. So. Yeah. Trigger words for us. Yeah. We don't mm-hmm. like those words at
1: all. Yeah, yep. for sure. Well, I am excited to implement this even more. I mean, I've read his books, but mm-hmm. just to have you sit here and talk it out rather than me reading
2: it is extremely helpful for me. Great. I'm glad. We do encourage folks to, again, visit the website, even watching videos. I tease people. For me, I'm a visual learner, right? So I love to watch the videos. I love to even like podcast listening. But, you know, sometimes, again, for us, our main goal at Lives in the Balance is really helping children be the best that they can be right we truly believe kids can do well and we really need the adults in their world to recognize that they really want to do well Mm -hmm. our goal is to get this into the hands of parents and teachers grandparents anyone who is in the lives of a child to be able to help them problem solve. I tell folks the great thing about this, it's always been in my toolkit. So as a mom of two teenagers right now, <laughs> I can problem solve and life is a lot quieter in my house than, <laughs> than if I was trying to wing it. And again, just in my practice and the families that I work with, it's something that I truly, truly believe helps us to view children the way that we should. And that's what's really important for this model. And I love when parents and teachers get connected to the kids. I love to hear stories. And one thing about this model, we give it to the kids, right? We give it to the parents. So I always tease parents, I'm working myself out of a job. That's what we do. Here you go. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I'm like, here you go, because you're going to be with them longer than I am. So here you go but even teachers, right? From year to year, you get a new set of students and it's great to give them. I have one teacher in an elementary setting had a problem solving table set up in her classroom. And so she had the steps of the model taped to the table and the kids could come there and she would problem solve with them at the table. So there's so many great ways that this could be implemented into what teachers already do.
0: I love it. Mm -hmm. And making a visual too for little kids this is an easy model to draw a picture about who does what when. It's really helpful. And visuals
2: help even with the solutions, right? So having the visuals of the solutions up. Um, oftentimes I will do thought bubbles and just put in there what our solutions are for the kiddos. But absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Planners are just visual aids, right? For adults.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's why adults like comic books. We still like... Being read to in pictures, and you don't outgrow that. You don't outgrow that. And I could see how, you know, even in marriage relationships or friendships, this being really impactful, helping everybody sort of get both their needs met.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And without calling it a
2: family therapy approach, it really is one. One right. thing we see, you know, we're teaching parents as we're teaching their child, but we're also teaching parents how to problem solve, right? Right. Sometimes it's interesting. I'll have parents say to me, yeah, we need this. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, as they're arguing over the expectations, right? Yeah, right. We all could help right. to be able to problem solve and to look at instead of, you know, our spouse's acting out behavior, right? What's the lagging skills? What's the uncertainty? problem, right? Hey, honey, are you having difficulty? (laughs) You know, so it works well in, in all relationships. Absolutely.
0: So before we let you go, I just want to make sure that we have all the resources, the websites and the Facebook group that you mentioned. So can you run through that one more time for our audience?
2: Yes, the Lives in the Balance is the main website for Dr. Green's model. So it's livesinthebalance.org. We also have thekidswelose.com. and I love that because it's a documentary. The Kids We Lose follows eight families who are having challenges from kindergarten all the way to adulthood, but it really emphasizes the concerns that we have when children aren't able to access something like the CPS model. And so On that website as well, there is called The Hope and Solution. So it's a great video for people who want to see what Plan B looks like. Dr. Green is explaining the model. He's actually doing it with the student. And then also on Amazon, you can get The Explosive Child, which is his first book. And then Raising Human Beings is his book for parents. And then Lost and Found is also a book for educators and teachers as well. So all the books cover the model just from different angles, which is great. And then the Facebook group is the Plan B facebook group and if you go to livesinthebalance.org on the website outreach you can find all the facebook links there.
1: Dr. Haynes, I just feel so empowered
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I feel some relief coming for some families that I can give them language that they can do at home. Yeah. I know the language that I do when I work with the kids it has been similar but this is something that I think following the model that will be very impactful for a lot of families. So I really, and all of our listeners, I really appreciate you taking the time to explain it to us and give us some hope.
2: That's what really attracted me to it as well. You know, working with families for so long and then You know, hearing the frustration when the behavior charts didn't work or the rewards didn't work. And and let's be honest, right? Our training really didn't train with children. Like my graduate program was all mainly adult work. And so reading through stuff and trying to find it, and literally my colleague, again, it was just a girl's trip to Maine, but it changed how I practiced. And that's exactly what you just said is exactly why I love CPS, because I can give families hope. They start to see their child in a way that's hopeful. And they also start to see what we thought was behavior we can't manage or control as to now problems that can be solved. And we have solutions.
1: I love that. Well, thank you. Yeah, everyone check out all the things. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Let's head over to Patreon to talk a little bit more about more questions we have about helping some families or some sticky situations that people might need to
2: navigate through. Sounds great.
0: Thank you so much for being here, Stacey. Can you do our traditional sign-off, which is have a great week, Smarties?
2: <laughs> have a great week, Smarties. <laughs> Yay, have a great I love week. love it. <laughs>